0: Hello, hello, it's Brooke Devard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back for another episode all about Ayurvedic Beauty and the founder of Ranavat, Michelle Ranavat, about how she created her brand. Now, Ayurvedic Beauty is something that I have loved for many, many years. I have books on it. I've studied it. I've actually even done a solo episode on the principles of Ayurvedic Beauty. I'll link to that in the show notes. But you know, how to find your dosha. Are you pita? Are you vata? Are you kapha? This is stuff that has been around for generations that all originates from India. And it's so interesting because so many of the core ingredients that are used Used in Ayurvedic remedies have become so popular today in the wellness movement, in the natural skincare movement. Some of the ingredients that I think you should all know about that are really from Ayurvedic traditions, saffron. Now, saffron is packed with antioxidants. Anytime you can get saffron onto your skin, Great turmeric which we know is super anti-inflammatory those like turmeric lattes really good for you internally but it's also great for your skin it helps to reduce hyperpigmentation ghee which is like that gorgeous healthy fat it's kind of like an alternative to butter but you can use it for your skin you can cook with it neem oil is wonderful for acne chickpea flour or graham flour uh, they're used interchangeably those are gr- that's great for exfoliation if you want to do like your own at-home mask Alma oil to strengthen and soften your hair. And just all of these incredible natural ingredients and remedies that, again, have been around for so long. They're becoming more and more mainstream. And I was really excited to talk to Michelle because she is the first South Asian brand to be sold at Sephora, which is one, mind-blowing to me that there hasn't been one before. But two, I just love that she is making all of these Ayurvedic Ingredients part of like the mainstream skincare and beauty conversation. And I was really excited to get into that with all of her. So I hope you really enjoy our conversation. Other than that, everything's going well for me. Just trying to keep everything under control. I think I can officially announce May 21st in New York City. I will be doing a naked beauty live event. If you are in New York or near New York, I hope you can join us. I will have tickets on sale soon. So make sure you're following me at Naked Beauty Planet on Instagram. And then probably maybe in next week's episode, I'll put a link to buy tickets in the show notes. If I have my act together by then, but just save the date, May 21st, Naked Beauty live event. I'm really excited. I haven't done a live event in three years. So it's going to be really great to just see people in person again. And I have a really good live event roster in terms of who's going to be joining me on stage. So I love when I can see the community in real time. Maybe I can take it on the road. Maybe I can visit other cities as well. Let me know if you guys would enjoy that. But let's get into my conversation with Michelle. Thank you again for listening and for all of your support. Let's get into today's episode. Michelle, welcome to Naked Beauty. So excited to have you on.
1: Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Well, I feel like it's exciting for me to talk to you because you've just had this milestone with your Sephora launch, which congratulations. That's like amazing that Ranavat is now in Sephora.
1: Oh my God, thank you. It was crazy to feel like, you know, to be the first South Asian Ayurvedic brand, which is so exciting because I think that means that there's going to be more. So I'm super excited for what the future has to hold.
0: Yes, I hope so. It's it's actually pretty surprising that you are the first considering um, how long the tradition of like skincare and Ayurveda has been around, you know, like ancient history, basically. And the fact that, as you noted, like so many of the top skincare brands are already using these ingredients and in this, in this technology, but they're not necessarily like positioning it as Ayurveda.
1: Exactly. And I think that's kind of the exciting part, but also in a way... Let me- Whole movement, whether it be Ashwagandha serums or Bakuchiol, really just the idea of an adaptogen. I think that totally laid the foundation. And now we can almost like go back and, and share the history and like the origin story of where all this came from.
0: Yes. Well, Michelle, we first met, was it like 2017, 2018 when you were like just starting your brand? I remember like you gave me a sample. The packaging was totally different.
1: I had this whole powder mask. Thing that I was doing where you'd mix, I called it like mix and mask, but I sort of evolved the brand not only from a product perspective, but also packaging, as you mentioned. And and so, yeah, it's kind of been a crazy last three, four years.
0: I know it's been amazing to see the growth. So, okay, you got into skincare, but this wasn't always your background. Tell me a little bit about how your career started before you became the founder of this amazing skincare
1: brand. Oh my gosh. I feel like it's it's interesting because when I think about skincare, and I, I get this question a lot in terms of my science. Background. So I studied engineering in school and I ended up getting my master's right after. So I have a master's in industrial engineering, a master's in engineering management, had like full intentions to get a PhD. I wanted to be Dr. Ranavat, I guess, um, but that never happened. Uh, right after I ended up working in finance and I, I lived in New York City and of all places, of course, I walked into Lehman Brothers and it was crazy. It was, a, it was a really interesting time to be on Wall Street. It was like totally that Wolf of Wall Street vibe. And you just, it was like a whole moment like in New York City and I totally got sucked into it. So I kind of left the engineering stuff behind. I started on this new path. And then of course, In 2008, when the actual firm I was in went completely bankrupt, I was like just having to have this like crisis in a way of like, wait, all that like I never did my major, I never got into science, what I was passionate about. Now I am at this like defunct organization.
0: Yeah, wait, were you were you there when Lehman Brothers like actually like the day that everyone had to like clear out their cardboard boxes and like leave the building?
1: Oh my god, I was like cleared out myself. Like literally, I want to say. Like three or four months before the actual bankruptcy was when I got laid off. So like I got laid off in the summer, which actually was nice in a way because I ended up getting another job. Like right when I think my new job, I like saw all the headlines of like people walking out and I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. But that job was short-lived anyway, because, you know, 08 brought on so much more financial crisis and... It's a really crazy time. And to, to be on Walters, everything was shrinking at that time. And so that was a great pivot for me to then uh, work at my deals, which is really interesting because I never wanted to work at my dad's company, a company that he started from nothing. It's in the pharmaceutical space. It's with ingredients, organic, like peptides, amino acids, all the building blocks for life. And I never really was passionate about it, to be honest. And I was like, I'm going to do something like different. And and then you know when when all of that happened, my dad was like, Well, you've never used a degree, you have no other job. And I was like, Okay, you're making good points. Sure, I'll join. You know, and I didn't I didn't think of it as something I was going to do permanently. But I honestly, I like actually fell in love with it.
0: Wow. And so that's when you were starting to get more into like skincare science and beauty science and all of that, but. You mention your dad who built the company from nothing. Tell me about your parents and that like immigrant experience. I'm reading a book now about um, an Asian American woman who immigrated to New York and just how she, what she talks about a lot is how different her teenage years and young years were versus like her parents and the stories they tell um, from growing up. And in, in her case um, in China, what was it like, you know, growing up as first generation and where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up in a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because we had like some random relative and that's like kind of what happened. My dad ended up like winning this like immigration lottery kind of thing. So they were like doing this program in the U.S. and they like. You know, selected people, smart people. You know, all around the world, is right? particularly India, and they were like gave they gave them opportunities. So my dad got this opportunity, and my mom was like he she he actually like threw it in the trash in India. And He's like I'm not going, and my mom was like no we're going, and she kind of like pushed him to actually come. And so my dad had a, his dad had a chemicals business that they were like sharing amongst these like three brothers. My dad said, like a really good thing going with this, you know, this chemicals business. And so then he moved and he was literally doing like very menial work. He has a master's in organic chemistry, but he was like moving around stuff, doing bent chemistry. My mom was working nights at a printing press and, you know, they were just on this like high of wanting to build this dream and build this future because they saw what was happening in India. And it was just like, there wasn't that growth, like the business that my grandfather had, you know, that had to be divided by three and it just wasn't really going to support our family. And so I think this chance was like their opportunity to do something bigger, but it didn't come easy at all because, you know, the day that my mom found out she was pregnant, um, my dad got laid off from his job and that was like their main source of income. And my mom was working nights at this printing press and you know, you would think, and they filed income below the poverty level at that time. And like, you would think that they would just like pack their bags and go back or I don't know what you do. But my dad doubled down, rose to the challenge. and was like, you know, what? I'm gonna start my own company. I'm never gonna have my fate decided by someone else.
0: Now, I would imagine in Milwaukee, or maybe there is like a, a vibrant Indian community, but did you, were, you're like, no. So, so were you amongst other like Indian Americans at? school and is, sorry, is that term, that term Indian American, even though as I said it, I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs>
1: what? South Asian, but I think Indian American South, South is fine Asian. too, okay, no that's no, broader.
0: Yes. Correct me. Educate me. Okay. South Asian.
1: Oh, you know, it's actually totally fine. No, there was zero vibrancy, like whatsoever. And, um, you know, honestly, it, it was really tough. And it was at point, especially like in those days, in the 80s and like, in a place like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, like if you literally saw a brown person and like what could mean of any part of Asia, like an Asian brown, you would like walk up to them at the supermarket and be like, hey, like, what's your story? And you'd you'd become friends with them because that was like how sparse it was. In school, I was the only Indian person. And an interesting thing is like, there's a lot of like Native American um, history in Wisconsin. And so I think when you say Indian, that's like kind of what they think about, and so that was also really challenging because we learned a lot about the Native Americans. But like at that time, everyone just called them Indians. So it's like we learned about the Indians, and then it's like we've oh, different Indians that's like really far away, and it honestly didn't resonate. And I really felt sad, and I I don't think I made many friends in school. And so then we ended up moving to Chicago, which does have a more vibrant community, and I'm pretty sure. That's why we moved because we just like wanted a, a more robust community, more South Asians around. And honestly, it was so much better in school. Oh, that's I'm, I'm happy that
0: you moved. Um, how old were you when you moved?
1: I was five when we moved and then. Oh, OK. Yeah. So it wasn't that much, but I ended up moving like to three different schools even after that, because the one point I was in a Catholic school, which was also like a very different like also not very diverse. And I just like, it took me, I'm legitimately telling you until I would say a high school and then ultimately college in New York to where I actually felt like I'm not a total outsider. And I actually felt comfortable in my own skin. And I think some of that like is me, you know, like when you are just like, whether it's like made fun of or just misunderstood for so long, you just kind of like, you know, you you don't know how to, communicate anymore or make friends or put yourself out there because you know one time and this is like a true story I was like talking I said I put oil in my hair once in I think it was like second or third grade and I got made fun of so hardcore that I like never talked to anything Indian again and fast forward to last year during um, Asian American Pacific Islander Month, Instagram did something, and Cheryl Sandberg had me on her IG Live, and I was literally talking to her about hair rolling, and I'm like, this is like the circle of life right now. Like, I feel like I'm doing something right if like this is happening.
0: Yes. yes. And I'm sure like the students that made fun of you for hair oiling, like one, I'm sure their hair is thinning and not in great condition now, <laughs> or they are learning and educating themselves. And they were like, oh, Michelle was actually like onto something. Um, I should have listened. Yeah, that is. It's so interesting. Kids can be so cruel. And I, I just hope that now people are taught about like differences in culture and that things are better you know, you talk about the history and like how long some of these like systems have been around. And I think of like Ayurveda as like this system of medicine, right? And there's like movement, which we know as yoga. And then there's like beauty and it goes back, what, like 2,000, 3,000 years? Um, it's
1: 5,000, but yeah, great, long time ago.
0: Yes. So how aware of like Ayurveda were you growing up and how does it show up in your skincare line now?
1: So it's interesting. I don't think I knew that word until like I don't know late in life. So it's really interesting because I think when a lot of people in my generation, when they could like we have this thing, and I think even our parents like there was a certain part of them that just wanted to assimilate, and so we sort of felt like wait, like that's our old culture, and now we are into. Whether it be only modern medicine or even just like thinking about when you have a cold or, or whatever. And I think we were doing some of those things. And I think I was doing a lot of Ayurvedic practices. I don't think I ever knew that I was doing them. Like my mom would always offer me, you know, turmeric milk. I didn't know that that was like, A, that it was cool and B, that it would be called golden milk latte now and that like it would be popular. It's just kind of <laughs> fun to
0: see. Can we, can we pause there? Because it's fun to see, but it's, isn't it also upsetting in a way to see that when a lot of white people, frankly, appropriate these ancient cultures or ancient traditions, then it becomes mainstream in a wellness trend.
1: Yeah, I think wellness thing is something that I just always felt like could have been or maybe even can be better positioned because I think wellness just kind of removes the whole origin story of it. The positive is like people love yoga and they get like the benefit of it. Same thing with meditation. We can add chai and turmeric and hopefully now skincare to the mix. But what I want to change about the way these things have been popularized is like I want to add that element of education and origin story. And I think you need South Asian entrepreneurs or pioneers because that's really who can speak to the origin story. Like I almost feel like whoever at Starbucks came up with the chai, like, I don't know if they were Indian or not, but I think it's like hard for them to speak or frankly care about it as much as if a South Asian person was like, oh my God, there's a chai at Starbucks. Like I'm gonna bring my family's recipe and I'm gonna tell people about whatever it is, like be passionate about it. So I think there's a role that South Asian entrepreneurs like really need to play in the growth of this entire space. And I almost think it's like, We know people like it. They've been using it and doing it. Now it's our turn to really educate. And that's kind of where I feel this next phase of this movement is going.
0: Yes, I love that. In terms of education, what do you want people to know or understand? I think that one of the things that I have loved about using Ranavat, you know, I love the uh, saffron serum, the brightening serum. I'm obsessed with that. Um, And I've had saffron on food. I've had saffron in rice, but I've never had saffron in skincare. And I, I also think sesame oil is also quite a unique oil to use on your face and in your like skincare routine. So I love that I have learned about natural ingredients through Ranavat, but what did you want to kind of communicate and educate people on in terms of like your ingredient story?
1: One is there's a whole treasure trove of ingredients. Now, whether you want to add the concept of like adaptogenic, which I think is like super important in the context of taking care of our skin. So one, I would love to educate around why it's important to have adaptogens in your skincare routine. Two, I want to broaden the ingredient subset, right? There's a lot of great proven ingredients, but like, do we need another, like, you know, whatever, like ceramide cream, right? Like you could do that, but what if we add in an ingredient like mangista or saffron, um, lotus seed, like there's so many different really cool ingredients that have been used that work that we can integrate to create these unique experiences. So that's kind of where I see Ayurveda. One, on the efficacy standpoint, we actually just did, we're, we're in the process of doing uh, clinicals on a lot, you know, some of our top SKUs. And the results are really like, they're, they're kind of mind blowing. And, and even like, I knew that the product worked And I think even you can say like, there's something about that brightening saffron serum, like it, it works, but when you see like scientific instruments and the measuring all the stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so that's kind of what my mission is, is to add in that science background and that curiosity that I have on the science side and prove out these Ayurvedic ingredients. There's a ton of data on retinol. Because it's a standard skincare ingredient that people have proved out. There's not a lot of data on saffron, And there's a reason for that. It's like not really widely used. So it's kind of my job to now go in and start building that database and provide a bridge between what I view as like Ayurveda slash whether it's culturally driven or, you know, before modern medicine and then taking modern medicine and bridging that gap.
0: This is all so fascinating to me. And I feel like I need to go all the way to the beginning of your statement around adaptogens because I don't know that I fully understand what an adaptogen is. I can make a guess, but you know the science. So explain to me what an adaptogen is and what role it plays in our skincare.
1: So adaptogen is key word that you want or like part of the word is like adapt. So when your body, when you stress, like if you're like me, I, I sweat. So that's like my body's reaction to stress. Like I'll start sweating. I'll get really hot. And, um, essentially when your skin gets oxidative stress or like basically stress causes aging inflammation, right? Like we know that stress does not have a positive impact on our bodies. Adaptogens allows there are these like compounds that are found in certain ingredients or certain plants that help our body cope and adapt to stress, So that our reaction, like for, in my case, like sweating and freaking out, maybe if I had an adaptogen, that wouldn't happen. So when you talk about it from a skincare perspective, why is that important? Well, inflammation, that's like, you know, we can talk about acne, eczema. I mean, a million different skin concerns come from inflammation. Inflammation is essentially a product of stress. And just oxidative stress in general is just not great for your skin or health in general. So anything to help that I think is an ingredient that you want in your skincare routine.
0: Okay. Thank you for breaking that down for me. Now, when you were presenting to the team at Sephora and explaining the tradition of all of your ingredients and what they do, did you feel that they got it or they understood it? Like, Let's take the brightening serum, which many people love. It's it's $135, which is expensive, but it lasts for such a long time and a little bit goes a very long way. But do you feel like they understood your product and the product positioning and who it was for?
1: I think it's interesting because the ultimate merchants on the team are actually South Asian, which I feel like I I like love that because I think it's such a cool community and I don't know, I just feel so like even more authentic, right? Like the South Asian created it and another South Asian like believed in it and pushed it. It's it's kind of cool, especially I feel like in our community sometimes like there's always this idea of like there can only be one or there's a you're almost afraid to help other people in our community. So I think in that way it felt so wholesome and amazing. But before I got to that. Day, and by the way, even when I got there, it was still like a merchant is a merchant. And it wasn't like, hey, you know, I know all about this. So like we're signing up. Like I have to work.
0: <laughs> You're South Asian, I'm South Asian.
1: <laughs> I'm like, let's just make this one. In fact, it was actually more intense because she like knew all about Ayurveda. So she's like, so tell me like, why did you choose this or why did you do you that? <laughs> anyway, that's like a whole separate podcast. Um, the beginning was actually this incredible woman that championed the brand. And, um, which initially she was just like, look, I love, I love, I love the concept of it, but she's like, it's so complicated for people. Like no one's going to get like, what is Ayurveda? And then we're going to have to demystify that. And like, by the time, you know, you have to like educate someone for so long to sell your product. And what I told her, I was like, well, let's walk into Sephora mentally and like, what are the best sellers? And I'm like, well, it's this Pukuchi serum and this ashwagandha cream and this adaptogen drink and this turmeric mask. And I'm like, you know, a lot of those things, they're all inspired, they're all Ayurveda actually. And so I'm like, you're actually selling Ayurveda already. You just haven't really done that. And now let's go back and tell this beautiful story about how it came about. And by the way, we're going to be more than just A chai latte. Like we're going to be, we're going to explore saffron, manjista, amla, all of these amazing ingredients that go a little bit below the surface.
0: Yes. And okay, you've mentioned amla, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is for hair care, correct? Well, you can use it in many ways, but a lot of people use it for hair care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, Indian gooseberry, is another, I feel like that's the English name, but it has, the vitamin C of over 10 oranges and is one of the most powerful um, superfoods.
0: Yes, and it's in your fortifying hair serum, which I love. Now talk to me about jasmine because I love the way jasmine smells. I feel like just like on this like aromatherapy level, jasmine just does something to your mood. I know it's also in your face mist. What is it about Jasmine? I'm sure you're, you're drawn to it clearly because it shows up in your product so much, but have you done any research on like why it's just feels so great?
1: I mean, it's literally what you said. Like there's actual evidence that aromatherapeutically, Jasmine is a mood elevator. It's an aphrodisiac. Like it just relaxes you and kind of going back to what we talked about when we were talking about stress you can kind of see why something that just like calms you down is so important in your skincare routine, not just for your mental state, but like calming your skin and reducing stress is, is key. And then in terms of hair, Jasmine is actually an antifungal. And if you look into dandruff, dandruff is actually, is actually a fungal. So Jasmine helps with dandruff control too, which is kind of a cool side benefit.
0: I love that. In terms of your favorite products that you've formulated, like what are your, let's maybe say like, what are your top three favorite products you've formulated and why?
1: Okay. So we got number one, the brightening saffron serum, I think goes without say, but I did, you know, like what's like your desert Island. I did go to an Island and I legitimately forgot my entire skincare bag, which like, I think you can relate or anyone listening to this podcast, like Work for us, but anyway, I had to go without it for like a week and a half, and I absolutely. Oh my
0: gosh! Oh my gosh. Wait, wait, wait! What did you use for sunscreen? That's like would be my number one freaking.
1: I feel like I probably had sunscreen somewhere. I was able to buy it. Like I, I would never not, and I always have like a hat with UPF in it. But like the serum, like I just couldn't replicate. So I was just forced to kind of I don't know what I used, but whatever it was it didn't work. and I was like, Oh my gosh, I just missed my serum. And so just the brightness and this, the serum is everything for me. And when I see the reviews, I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one that's like that obsessed with it. So I love it just by hyperpigmentation is a big problem for me. I think a lot of South Asians also feel the same way. And then also under eyes, like tired mom all the time, I need all the help I can get. So that's my number one. And how
0: do you use it? Like, where do you use it in your skincare routine?
1: It's honestly like in, I use it at all steps. So in the morning, actually, even before I shower, I will, I usually work out in the morning. So I do like a nice little like massage with this front serum and just kind of like literally two minutes before my trainer comes, I just like take the Radiant Ronnie and I just like massage it because it like gets me awake a little bit. I feel like I got some circulation in my face. And then I do my workout and then like, I'll come back and do my entire routine after. So I use it in the morning that way. So like kind of like twice in the morning and then PM always after cleansing, which actually is like the next product that I'll talk about is the luminous ceremony cream cleanser. I think there's something to be said about something that's very simple. Like there's a gazillion cleansers out into, in this world. But to me, I feel like this cleanser is like a little spa vacation and the way that it like, so milky, I don't know, just, it's like, I call it like a ballerina because like the presentation of it is like so beautiful. It's in this pink packaging. It smells like a, like a light rose, but then it's like super strong in the sense that like, it will remove your makeup and it does its job really well. And then you can put it on as like a nice little, you can rub it in and then you step into the shower and the steam makes it like super melty and just kind of like glides up. It's really nice. Love it. And then lastly, I promise I'll be quick, but this uh, mask, the, have you tried this one yet? The resurfacing mask?
0: I have it and I have not tried it yet, but I need to try it. I have, I have so many masks and I'm like just chipping away at them one by one. And I like to use something for a while And see what it does, and then move on to. I try not to like do too many things at once. But I, I think
1: you have a really hard job because I do feel (laughs) like that would is especially masks. Like,
0: thank you for recognizing how difficult it is to test these skincare products.
1: No, it actually is because like (laughs) I'm formulating something. I'm very like only Ranova. Right. But then I, when I make something new, I have to like try my new stuff. Right. And the right. Other day. I was working on a new product and I tried it. I kind of like irritated my eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so annoying. And then I'm like, I wonder how everyone else that uses new stuff all the time feels, you know?
0: Yeah. But okay. This math, it, one, it looks gorgeous. I think Ronavat is also, if people are looking for like the way that your boxing and presentation is, and I don't know if this will be carried over to Sephora or if it's just if you like order directly from your site, but the presentation, the packaging is gorgeous. Like, I feel like I just, even when I like ran out of the serum, I was like, can I just like keep this, (laughs) just the bottles and like everything is nice, which I think makes it a really great gift. If you need like a mother's day gift or like, you know, a friend's birthday gift, like I think your products are just beautifully- Done. And that mask looks gorgeous, just like in the bottle.
1: Oh my God. I have a small one here too, because I'm almost out of the other one. And it has like beautiful little, like, saffron threads in it. So I love the mask. And I think the biggest, the way that I use it, so it's a once a week treatment, it's two to five minutes. So it's super fast. And every Friday, I basically just put this mask on because it doesn't irritate my skin after and it just kind of like cleanses my week off in a way. And so It's just like the right time where you want a really nice, smooth makeup application. If you're going out Saturday night, I just think it like preps my skin for the week. So this is like my Friday ritual. And then I follow it with the saffron serum again, and then the fukuchi cream.
0: Okay. And that mask has plant derived or is it? No, it's fruit derived AHA. What does that mean?
1: So mango mombin, fruit, and banana. So those are three alpha hydroxy acids that are just naturally present in those fruits. So they kind of, this give you like a massive tingling sensation. I would put this in a more gentle category where sensitive skin types can use it, but essentially it's like kind of eating up the dead, dull, dry skin and kind of going a little bit below the surface. Like kind of more than what a physical exfoliator would do. And that's why it gives you a nice bright finish because it's kind of removing all those dull bits. And then it has a papaya enzyme in it, which is another kind of enzyme. So again, eating away at the, the dullness. And so I think that combo is really nice. And then as once you're like exfoliated, you've got the saffron and turmeric in there that like add another brightening element to it.
0: Yes, Now, I used to make so many of my own masks and I still do from time to time, especially when I like have like you know, as a mom, it's, you know, how it is for us rare that you have free time on the weekends anymore. But if I do have a rare free time, I do love to make a mask. Now for someone that's like, well, I have turmeric and papaya and banana, and I can blend all of this stuff at home and make my own mask. Are you an advocate for that? Do you think that's great as well? Do you think that it's better to buy it like store-bought? Do you do a mix of both? Do you ever do an at-home mask? <sighs>
1: that's a great question. I think at home masks are great. Like I, and I see, I remember, and I don't know if you still do this, like you did a lot of DIY oil stuff. Like I'm so into that too. Like I'm a fan, honestly. And I think that's the lens through which I formulate. cause I'm like, if someone can like blend three things and make it on their own, like I shouldn't be making that, like I need to, there should be a higher bar here. So for me, that's definitely something that I feel like is separate and apart. Like, I think they're two different things. They all, they play in a great role in all of our beauty routines. Like I personally wish I had more time to do those like super, you know, I do like a yogurt honey mask or I do, you know, I would totally be down for that. I just like, don't have the time slash, I guess just like, haven't been into it lately. Um, but I think there's a place for that for sure. And then I think there's a place for your bougie, you know, this is like an experience. You've got like aloe and saffron threads. Like, I don't think you can mix the masks that we have, but that doesn't mean at home masks, like don't have value. Like I think they're great and why not? I think we should totally do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I love what you said about if I can do it at home, I probably shouldn't be selling it because I will look at like a facial oil that's being sold. And if I see it has like jojoba and sunflower seed oil mixed together and it's like $80. I'm like, okay, just absolutely no. Like, it's, it's, you're selling this small little vial, and I know what the base oils are. So, you're going to have to come with a better blend than that.
1: I just think, look, expensive for expensive sake is just not the vibe, right? Like, what's the reason? And I think, you know, being in luxury. And I think this is like an interesting thing to touch upon. Like as a culturally driven brand, I think there's a lot of push to like, it's going to be accessible in some ways, but I can say, look, I think we're talking about a massive space. So I hope that, and I see every day, like so many new Ayurvedic brands coming that are more accessible, but I think you can earn that luxury spot no matter what, but you've got to prove it. Like that unboxing experience has to be on point. Like that ingredient needs to be rare. That process, we make this in copper vessels in India. Like that, there's just, cannot be replicated. And, And I think that when you earn and you say your luxury and you like earn that spot, not just by clever marketing or whatever it is, I think that's a great place to be because you're providing something to someone that they can't get and that's what luxury is. But I also think, like you know, IRV, that should be more than one luxury brand. It should be, you know, a whole slew. Just like K Beauty has like a ton of different options.
0: Absolutely, and no one's saying, oh, we already have a K Beauty brand sold here. <laughs> Move aside, right? And it's just, it's, it's amazing to think about how the more success you find as a skincare brand, the more that will open up the door for other brands like yours to say, well, look at Ranova and look at their price point and look at how successful they are. Um, you know, I can do it too. And I know you were like, you know, f- self-funded versus like going out and raising money, but even for people that have to raise money and until that story, I think you're, the success of your brand will mean a lot. I want to talk to you about beauty mistakes or difficult beauty moments that you have overcome. I know that you experienced postpartum shedding and it's a question that I get from people because I speak a lot about my experience with pregnancy and, but I have not experienced myself postpartum shedding, but I know a lot of people do. What was that experience like for you? And when did you start noticing it?
1: Well, if you go to the Sephora website, there's like a big freaking before of me with like a massive bald spot. So there's proof that, um, that I really struggled and, like you're, you're younger than me, but like, as I, entered, I just turned 40 this year and it's like, I think like the first time that you start thinking about this is like thirties, like you start really realizing like, wait, my skin is going to change. Right. And when I had my boys, like, you know, not only are you aging and I feel like at that point, like ra- rapidly aging because you have like zero sleep and you don't know what just happened to you. I just like struggled and I was like, wait a minute, like what the heck happened to that person that I felt like looked normal? And and I I, like I felt I took so much solace and I actually did really get into a lot of Ayurvedic skincare at that time because through postpartum, I actually ended up doing a lot of those Indian traditions for 30 days, like eating this thing or that thing. And, you know, all of the kind of like the confinement stuff. And I did it and I it worked amazingly. It totally helped me heal. It made me feel better mentally. And so I was started to explore a lot of that. And so naturally when I started losing my hair, I was looking into like hair oiling because that's something I grew up with. And uh, I started to, you know, bought every single one that I found on Amazon. Some worked, some didn't. Like, and then I I, somehow I got to like making my own. But I definitely hit this inflection point or really just like moment in my life where I was like, man, I need to like, I need to feel like myself again. And that is going to be one honing in and digging into my own culture to find that answer. And so that's kind of how like everything happened.
0: Wow. And what ingredients do you find made the biggest change?
1: I got to say saffron because, um, well, I guess we'll we'll talk about hair in a moment, but for sure, like I got a lot of hyperpigmentation after the pregnancy because I always had freckles and then they just got so dark during both pregnancies. So I liked that my skin looked more even. And then from a hair perspective, I mean, I think amla is just incredible for the hair. I think hair oiling... Yes, you need to use like a great hair oil. There are lots of great hair oils, obviously, including mine, which is more on the pricey side. But like, if you don't massage any of them, like including mine, it's not going to work as well. So you actually have to do the like massage, you know, the areas like the temples and get a lot of circulation and be pretty. Like, I didn't, I started to not put my hair up in tight ponytails. Like, I used to put a big Big bun that would like pull over here. And I saw a lot of thinning on the sides. So it's not just the oil that can do the work. It's got to be the whole process.
0: Got it. And as you've been um, on this journey of embracing your culture more, getting more comfortable in your identity. And also launching this brand, are there other South Asian women that you would love to see use your products? Maybe like work with in an official capacity? Do you have like a a dream list in your head?
1: I don't know. I mean, I gotta think about that. I feel like I have envisioned. Ranavat, like even beyond South Asian communities, so like in my mind, like of course, like Beyonce comes to mind. Oh. I was like, oh my god, imagine like saffron serum dripping on Beyonce. <laughs>
0: Beyonce is universal. Beyonce, <laughs> we 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 all bow down to Beyonce. Yes, yeah, and I feel like she would love the product.
1: I see for sure. Like there's been some amazing, like Mindy Kaling used the product. Oh, she did. She did. She like there was a whole like In Style article about. Oh my gosh, I didn't
0: know that. I love Mindy Kaling just in general as a person.
1: I mean, she's hilarious. I think she's done a ton for the South Asian community. And clearly, I mean, she she's took the time to uplift Ranova even. And that was really sweet of her. So that was amazing. Frida Pinto, I don't know if you remember Slumdog Millionaire. Of course, yeah. Um, she has been... Incredibly supportive. So, and then Haley Bieber talked about our cream cleanser on her inaugural YouTube video. That was like, I honestly don't even know. That was crazy.
0: That's amazing. And she she's really really into skincare. So if she likes the cream cleanser, then then you know it's really good. That's that's also like low key. I feel like the people that like are in the know about your products in the serum. I'm like, oh, like you have like good skincare taste. You know what oh, I mean? I like yeah, it's like the, the people who get it get it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I love it. Now, it's kind of funny because when we were doing our brand, we we're talking about, it, I was like, what's the essence of it? And it is, it's someone that's like one, yes, likes to finer things in life, but like really cares about results and it's not just superficial. And if you dig into the ingredient list and you dig into the results, like you'll you'll be impressed. It's kind of like the hard hitting skincare aficionado, we'll say.
0: Totally. And and I didn't ask my previous question to like in any way box you into like, oh, you're a South Asian brand. So you should have South Asian brand ambassadors. But I think to your point about representation um, and being in a position where now you're a founder and as your brand grows, you'll have more and more budget to do like brand campaigns and brand partnerships. And I always just think about like, passing that representation that you didn't get as a child, like forward, like, what does that mean to like, you know, walk into a Sephora and see someone that, you know, looks like you. I think that's so, yeah, it's just like, it's a powerful thing, but it also touches on, I'm happy that you brought up this Haley Beaver thing because it touches on this thing that's been an issue with a lot of black owned skincare products where people don't understand that because it's a black owned product that it can be used on all types of skin. So, I'll use the example of Hana Hana Beauty founded by my friend Abana. It's a beautiful shea butter. I use it all over my body, but people will write to me, white people, like non-black people will write to me and say, can I use the shea butter? And I'm like, of course, like you've got skin. I was going to um, say, do you have know skin? Yeah. We have, you know, when you have darker skin, dryness shows up differently. That's why we have terms like looking ashy and that, you know, white people can be ashy. You just can't see the ash. You can't see the, the, the dry flakes of skin. Um, but I'm like, of course, yes. Have you encountered that where people aren't sure if a brand that's kind of steeped in Ayurveda can work on all types of skin?
1: I mean, uh, all the time, 110% I, I hear. And I think a lot, when, when I started, I think, and everyone felt like, and I say everyone, I mean like retailers or anyone that I would be pitching the brand to would be like, oh, okay, so like really, you know, South Asian. And even when I've had other conversations, yeah, I think the default or assumption sometimes is that this is for South Asian people. It is native to us and just like shea butter, like we have special needs for hyperpigmentation. There's a reason like our cultures kind of came up with this stuff, but that doesn't mean they can't be applied. And I have to say and give credit to brands like Tata in a way, but also like the entire K-Beauty movement where... Beauty is something where, like, I don't think people feel like it's just for Koreans at all. I think right. everyone gets that it's universal. So anytime I came across that, I was like, "It's like and cool with it. So I'm like, "It's kind of like them." And I, it, that reference, I think it would be harder to say um, because we wouldn't have this massive proof point out there. But I will also say, though, that while it is for everyone. I do think early adopters have by far been South Asian community, and I think we're super lucky that so many, you know, others have loved and discovered us. Um, but there was this, and is this incredible core, and so some of it is like you've got to talk to your core, and you've got to bring other people into it, and you can't alienate either one. And the only way you bring everyone together is really education. And that's kind of like education and content. So we're always constantly thinking about leading with that.
0: Yes. And speaking of content, you did this amazing video using, and please correct my pronunciation, the Kanza wand. Kanza wand. <laughs> Kanza wand. Kanza wand. Um, I'm obsessed with just like rolling stuff on my face lately. Like gua sha, jade roller, my new face device. Like I am having like a really weird... <laughs> experience where I'm like facial devices, like I'm obsessed with them. And now I've added this wand into the routine. Um, And I know it's like a special type of metal or a copper. Explain to me how this works.
1: So uh, distilling it down, the difference is in the copper. So copper, if you go back in skincare history, copper peptides are so good for anti-aging, for healing, for inflammation. And so... Copper, just even copper touching your skin is a really good thing. It also balances the pH of your skin. So if your skin is a little too acidic, it's actually going to neutralize that acidity. So when you compare this to, so gua sha is more is sculpting. This isn't really going to like. know, I could do like a couple things. It's not. It's not a sculpting tool. Um, it's not going to work as well as a gua sha. Junior, I think. That one is more just for massage and just circulation. And I'm sure there's some benefit to the jade. This one is for pH balancing and anti-inflammatory. So it's really all about the copper. So I know there's like a lot of nuances here with the tools. It is used very much in the same way of any other tool, but you can actually see your skin graying. I don't know. Do you know, but have you seen that part of it?
0: So I, I saw the video where you were doing it and I saw your skin graying and I was like, what is happening here? And I, I read about the detoxifying, but I don't understand the science behind it.
1: So it's essentially like, it's it's just oxidization. So if you think about like you cut an avocado open and you leave it, it's like turns brown, right? Like all the time, cause it's, it's oxidizing. So essentially as the copper touches like the skin, that's a little... Too high, you know, in acid value, it neutralizes it. And in doing that, or during the process, it oxidizes the serum. So that's why the serum turns brown. So it's actually not your skin turning brown, it's not or gray, it's not anything coming out of your pores or anything like that. Um, Although, like, it can seem like that, that's not true. It's really just the serum changing color on top of the skin. But it's kind of cool because. It I call like a mood ring for your face because in one of the videos, like that video was like March 8th, 2020 or something. And it was like boom, I was like freaking out. And like I just had a ton of gray. And usually I could just wand for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes and don't even get any gray. And it really depends. Like I'm telling you should do it like a s- study and see, like sometimes you'll gray, sometimes you won't. And someone did a 30 day challenge and they noticed like it was certain times of the month. I don't know. There's different theories on when it happens.
0: Very interesting. Well, are there any things that you do for self-care beyond all of your fabulous products, which is things you do to treat yourself that you feel like you get a lot from?
1: Well, okay. So my mom and I, and if you guys follow on Instagram at all, like whenever she's in town, we make warm beverages and um, warm beverages are like my love language, like a saffron milk, warm saffron milk, a turmeric latte, like all of that. So that's my self-care is like having my mom, if she's around, like make me this like incredible warm drink and just like relax. So I would say that's kind of my self-care is is that, and I, I'm pretty... Uh, And I know you are too. I'm pretty like focused on always working out. I try to work out three times a week and I think that's part of how I feel good too.
0: Yeah. Three times a week is great. I'm I'm, I'm at twice a week, but even that for me is like a big accomplishment. Soon I'll get up to three times a week.
1: I mean, I think three, I'm like rethinking the strategy there. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like it's a lot.
0: (laughs) And when do you feel most beautiful,
1: Michelle? for me, it's going to be an Indian clothes. I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? That's when I feel like. So powerful. Like I I'm like this, like a avatar or something. Like, I just feel like I'm wearing this beautiful outfit that has this history. And I almost feel like that's what I was meant to do because it just connects me with all the other people that have come before me in my family. And I don't know, it just feels like a really powerful moment because I can put that outfit on and I like own it. Like I that's me.
0: Yes. I love looking at pictures, videos, anything from Indian weddings. Like even when I like know people that are going to Indian weddings, I'm like, what's the wedding hashtag? Like I just need to see the outfits because the bride brings it, but then all of the guests bring it and the families and like the groom as well. Like there's no boring, like suit like I need to see your wedding photos I'm sure it was such a moment
1: oh my god I know well, I, ha- I have them around here um I sh- I should show them to you there I I was really into being a traditional bride so I did a lot of like I had like a veil I did like a sari instead of like now a lot of people wear langas and then they wore like a different sari for my reception but I kind of I liked, I liked playing the traditional bride role because I was like wear like a fun blanket to like anyone's wedding but like you can just wear like a bridal sari like once in your life and so i don't know i just went for it
0: right and did you do i know that there's a tradition where the groom's name is sometimes written in henna somewhere on the bride's body and then the groom has to like find it did you do that
1: yeah, that's like the icebreaker. Well, that was like in in those days where it was like arranged marriage. Like if you wrote the husband's name, that was like supposed to be the icebreaker between the two of you guys of like just meeting after the after getting married. Oh my gosh. You would find her. I know it's kind of crazy. Well, yeah, I did do that, but it wasn't an icebreaker because we had been dating for a long time.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I love that. It has been such an absolute pleasure speaking with you and I will link to where you can shop all of your fabulous products, whether it's at Sephora or on your site. And yeah, I'm just like excited for what's to come even in the, you know, couple of years that we've been in touch. I've just seen the growth. So like, you know, three or four years from now, we should connect and we'll see where Naked Beauty's at and we'll see where Ranavad at is at and like, it'll be amazing. <laughs>
1: No, I'm sorry. Didn't you just hit your, was it 200th episode?
0: 200th episode. Yep.
1: Ready to go. I mean, I'm super pumped about everything you're doing and it feels amazing to connect with you and your community. And it's such an honor to be on. That. So just really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Well, thank you so much.
0: That was my conversation with Michelle. I loved hearing from her. I love hearing what it takes to launch a brand, to get your brand into Sephora, but also how she tapped into, again, this ancient science, this ancient medicinal properties of these incredible ingredients to create what I think is one of the most fabulous skincare lines out in the market. If you love natural skincare, I have to say Ranavat is like top tier. That saffron serum, gorgeous. I can't recommend it enough. And the Konza wand that we were talking about, I've been using it lately. It just feels great. It's very exciting to use. So I'm a big fan fangirl of Ranavat here. And I'm excited anytime I can use my platform to put you on to new brands that I'm really passionate about. All right. I will be back next week with a new episode. And also like stay tuned for these Thursday episodes. I'm dropping these little mini episodes on Thursday that are just solos that I've been having so much fun doing. So stay tuned for those. Make sure you're subscribed and we'll chat soon.